school is just messy. She's seen the high school's on fire. The high school? Yeah, like our high school. Shut up. Ha <laughs> 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 Just as recovering fire. Yeah. <laughs> what were those chairs? Hey guys, we are Emma and Jessica, and welcome to our podcast, MSR Files, an X-Files podcast. In this episode, we are going to go over fire, go through it scene by scene and discuss while interjecting with our own thoughts. We hope you enjoy. So this one's directed by Larry Shaw and written by Chris Carter. And then you're up first. Yay! <laughs> oh yeah, this this was an episode and a half. Okay, so we start in Bosham, England, 70 miles southwest of London. A man and a woman are walking through the gardens of their house. He greets the gardeners as he goes. And then he sort of peels off from his wife, says goodbye, and walks towards his car. Um, he names one of them as Cecil, a man with a questionable goatee. <laughs> um, and he greets him in an Irish accent. He says, top of the morning to you. So the man goes to his car and shouts goodbye to his wife um, as Cecil watches on, kind of creepily, not going to lie. And then the man's, as, as he's waving, the man's arm catches fire suddenly and Cecil just watches and sort of follows him as he kind of like flails across the grass and everyone freaks out, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so the rest, the rest of the staff panic. While, yeah, Cecil's just watching on with a wee creepy smile. And then we cut to the opening credits intro, whatever it's called, can't remember. So, no, it's just intro. Yeah, opening title, yeah. <laughs> Mine just blanked on the name. <laughs> so, we open up in Washington, Washington DC. Mulder and Scully are walking to their car. Mulder is carrying a, st- carrying a stack of books in his arms. And Scully comments that she forgot what it was like to spend a day in court. And Mulder says, with his jokes... That's one of the luxuries of hunting down aliens and genetic mutants. You really get to press charges. <laughs> and then Scully laughs at his wee joke and it's really cute. And he puts his books on top of the car to get his keys out of his pocket. But Scully gets there first and she tries the handle and the door opens. And she comments and tells him that the door's open. And he's just like so confused about how. He's like, that's weird. I'm sure I locked it. And then look at her go, Scully cracks another one of her wee jokes. She's like, well, that must be an X-File. And she gets in the car and then Mulder smiles and does like this goofy, like endearing laugh because he's like, you can't quite believe that she's made that joke. But then it's also nice that she's not poking fun at the fact that it's a mystery like everyone else has done throughout the series so far. It's good banner, good banner. And I made a wee note saying, and that's what our boy has been missing and it's what he deserves. Yes. And yeah, I just really love that little exchange. So Mulder collects his books and he gets in the car and we hear Scully ask, what's that? And Mulder looks to see a cassette sitting on top of the dashboard and he's like, told you I locked the door. And Scully just kind of looks at him like, oh, this is a bit spooky. So he takes the tape out of the case and looks at it and Scully asks, what do you think it is? And Mulder comments, oh, 10 to 1, you can't dance to it. And oh, here we go. He puts the tape in and then just, yeah. You the just worst accent. The worst accent, the most irritating accent, and just, Wait, yeah. Wait, did you say voice? Not voice, accent. no. Sorry, yeah. Not yeah. Enough. Not the accent, also. the voice. Yeah, so I don't know if the actress, exa- or it was directed to exaggerate how she sounded for, really sure. yeah, for the sake of Americans. Or is she actually just bit Yeah, because it is 
it, like there are people that talk like that in the world, but oh my goodness, because <laughs> they do that with Scottish accents too in like films. They like exaggerate it. Yeah, I think it's just else that pop out. yeah. Sometimes they'll do it for, like sometimes we'll always Scottish person do it for like comedic value. But yeah. Done just to like make it more something that is not. I don't know. Yeah. In London, England. Oh, she is. Real voice. Well, him. You're. <laughs> it is. Colourful, realistic. Right, so that's her real voice, but she was in Nip Tuck. Fuck off. <laughs> I can't remember. I wonder if she was English or not. That must have been like one of the first seasons. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so the tape plays a pre-recorded message that greets. Agent Mulder, and it's like some weird MI6 intro tape thing. So she rambles on basically about how six months ago a member of parliament, Red J. Ellicott, received a tape like they did just now and the one they're listening to. Mulder seems to recognise the voice and starts looking around the car and then Phoebe continues on on the tape saying that unfortunately for Mr. Ellicott where he popped the tape into the car stereo he armed a device and Mulder stops looking around and he's like oh shit and then they both share a look. So Phoebe keeps going on about the like she's talking about how the explosion was so loud and so bad and then she continues um, if only he hadn't reached for the door handle and triggered the detonator but then how is he to know he was sitting on enough plastic explosive to lift the car 40 feet in the air and deposit the engine block on top of a three-story building and then the car door suddenly opens and Scully gasps and then a woman who is on the tape Phoebe appears and looks in and she's got all the jokes and she's like oh aren't we looking rather ghostly because obviously just like chat themselves and then Mulder kind of relaxes and says to Scully it's an old friend and then gets out of the car a mean joke to play on your friend (laughs) okay so Mulder gets out of the car and Phoebe asks if he's going to thank her and Mulder says what for and she says for saving his life and that one tends not to make the same mistake twice which I didn't get is that that's what they say (laughs) but I'm like I don't get it Yeah, I don't get the joke. I don't get the joke. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I never got that joke. So Muller says he'll try to remember that, and Phoebe is like, "Oh, come on, don't tell me you left your sense of humour in Oxford ten years ago." Muller's like, "No, actually, it's one of the few things you didn't drive a stake through." And, oh snap! So Scully gets out of the car and just kind of like looks at him because she's like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> and then Phoebe kisses Muller, and Scully kind of looks away and is like, "Is, is this bitch for real?" <laughs> And then Phoebe says, you know, some mistakes are quite worth making twice. And Mulder just kind of like brushes her off. And she's like, Dana Scully, this is Phoebe Green, terror of Scotland Yard. And they both greet each other. But the way that Scully says hello is so cute. It's like, hello. <laughs> and Phoebe's oh, like, hand. yeah. Goodbye. That's when they're in the office. Yeah. And then Phoebe comments like quietly to Mulder's like, she hates me. And I'm like, well, no wonder. <laughs> After the stunt you just filled it. Yeah, and then Mulder just kind of brushes it off again. He's like, what brings you to the colonies? So then we cut to the X-Files office in the FBI headquarters. And Mulder is sitting down at his desk looking at pictures of severely charred bodies. And Phoebe is sitting across from him and Scully is standing in the office. So Phoebe goes on to explain the case and it says that someone clever has been given the aristocracy... Yeah, the aristocracy, a good scare. They've killed off ranking members of parliament... They've killed off a ranking member of Parliament it says or Minister three. Of parliament, though. Oh, it's I'm a minister. I've read that in here, but no, but it's member. But she, she, it says here like there's a gif saying that she says Minister of Parliament when there's ah. that you're a member of Parliament. Yeah, you're maybe like the Minister of Education or ah, yeah, like that, but you're not. It's a member of yeah, yeah. member of Parliament. And if she is really English, then why the fuck did she not say yeah. like Chris? That's not right. Aye, and just change the line. That's very true. 
<laughs> and it also says that the set Windsor Castle ablaze in 1992. Mulder asks, your car bomber? And Phoebe says, no, this one's like to burn his victim alive. And Mulder immediately seems amazed by the concept. And Phoebe goes on to say, they can't figure out how he does it either. Not a crumb of evidence has been left at each of the crime scenes. And the last one died in his front garden, his poor young wife watching helplessly as he went up in smoke. And Mulder asks if it is the Irish Republican Army. And Phoebe says, our suspect like." Our suspect likes too many essays. <laughs> Our suspect likes to send love letters to his victims' wives. They sent one to the wife of Sir Malcolm Marsden a month ago. Three days later, he narrow, 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 narrowly, narrowly, narrowly. I can't say it. Narrowly. Say narrow. Narrow. Just add lay to it. Narrowly. This is real. Usually, me Yeah. Three days later, he narrowly escaped a fire in his garage, burnt to the ground, so they're renting a place out on Cape Cod, bringing the family over to the States for an extended holiday, or until we can catch the dirty bugger. I just kept that in because it cracked me up. <laughs> I'm like, okay, hen, come down. And dirty bugger. You dirty bugger. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Mulder asks if they think that he's that determined, and Phoebe says, judging by success, he seems to take a certain delight in his work. And then Mulder goes on to ask, so what brings you on this detour to Washington, D.C., Inspector? And the way she says this last bit as well fucking pisses me off. <laughs> says, I figure my friend Mulder couldn't resist the three-pipe problem. Just the way she says problem, I don't know what it is. I'm just, oh. It's just terrible. Yeah, it's just great, it's on I me. hope she was putting on a more forced Ah, yeah, I hope so to too. Yeah. Or maybe she's got a more common accent and she was trying to be posher. Ah, uh, possibly. I don't know. But if that's her real voice, I would be changing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, oh yeah, it's, it's a lot. So then Mulder says that they'll run it by their arson specialist and Phoebe says she'll call London and let them know. And she goes to leave, turns around and looks at Scully and says bye and then that's when she does her little cute wave and her yeah. smile. Yeah. And then Scully then questions the three-pipe problem comment and Mulder says that it's from Sherlock Holmes and it's a private joke. And Scully, the way she asked these questions is so cute. She's <laughs> so funny. How private. <laughs> and Mulder's like, hey, we knew each other in school in England. And he goes on to say that she was brilliant and he got over his head. He got in over his head and he paid the price. Scully's like, Mulder, you just keep unfolding like a flower. <laughs> and she seems so pleased to know this piece of information. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, oh, what's the tea there, my good bitch? <laughs> so she gets up and so does Mulder. He puts on his coat. And he says that it was over 10 years ago, Scully. And she's not convinced at all. And it just looks like she's totally on the wind up. Yeah. <laughs> going through this whole conversation. She's like, yeah, I noticed that you couldn't drop everything fast enough in order to help her out. And Mulder says, oh, I was merely extending her a professional courtesy. And Scully says, oh, is that what you were extending? <laughs> oh, Dick Joe. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, oh, the banner, it's so good. And Mulder's kind of like, he knows what he's being. He's like, look, I'm going to run this by the arson guys. And then she's on her own. And Scully says, something tells me you're not going to get rid of her that easily. And Mulder just says nothing and leaves. <laughs> so we cut to the arson lab. The arsonist, nope. The arson specialist walks up to the projector screen to look at the picture of the fire, comments that it's beautiful, and the slide changes and he keeps going. And it's like, me, do you want us to give us, give me a minute or two, like alone? Because, <laughs> yeah, this guy's a bit weird. And he comments how the colour of the flames are salmon red <laughs> and distinction, okay. It's about 1400 to 1500 degrees and he says that it's a work of art. The slide changes to a burnt body and he asks 
if there was any kind of incendiary device used. Phoebe says yes, actually, the victim's body. And then this really takes his interest in his like, spontaneous combustion. And then Phoebe goes on to say that he was murdered. However, we've turned up no evidence that tells us how the body caught fire. So Agent B goes on to comment and says, well, that's peculiar. People don't normally just catch on fire. And it's like, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> We know this is not a daily occurrence. And Scully takes a wee peek into the office and sort of like comes to join them and the specialist starts around the desk, moving around the desk to go to feet towards Phoebe. And Agent B says that we burn but we don't conduct all that well. There's usually usually some kind of extraneous extraneous? I don't know. Usually some kind of fuel. That one. Extraneous. That's too Extraneous. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I pronounce it. Some oh, kind yeah. of fuel. <laughs> yeah. Involved like candle wax, gasoline, something flammable, something flammable and incendiary that adheres to the skin, like an accelerant. And Agent BT says yes. And then Phoebe says that they found no trace of anything save for a dusting of magnesium at two of the sites. And then Agent BT says that it's aliphatic pyrolysis. It's a residue remaining after an exothermic reaction. Phoebe says there was no evidence of the source, no poor patterns or ignition devices and Agent Beatty says there have been some arson fires in Seattle lately and Pennsylvania that burn so hot that the firemen can't put them out at 7,000 degrees and that hosing that down just makes it worse. So Mulder asks how's that and Agent Beatty says the reaction is so intense that it splits the water into hydrogen and oxygen and it just adds fuel to the fire. Phoebe asks what were they using and Agent Beatty says they don't know for sure. It could be rocket fuel. That stuff burns so hot and clean there's never any trace left. And he also points out that it's very difficult to prove arson and that it's driving the insurance company nuts. And he and Phoebe both share a wee laugh, share a wee chuckle. Agent Beatty says that that's the only explanation that he can give them. And then Mulder stands up and says, well, there have been cases of pyrokinetic people who can control and conduct fire. And basically this... The whole dialogue is just the guy rambling on about his love for fire and how his wacky and has a mind of his own. Happy thinking maybe he's the arson yeah. that conversation. And then at the end, we just get just such a strange way that he says this. He's like, you've got a, quite a case for yourself here, Mulder. I almost wish I could be in your shoes. <laughs> and just the way he says it cracks me up. So then Mulder and Phoebe just kind of look at each other and then we cut to Cape Cod in Massachusetts. So Cecil is dressed as the handyman. And he is painting the walls. And as the camera pans over, we see it is Argotopoline? Argotopoline? I don't know. Some sort of Something rocket fuel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he's looking through the window and he sees a car and a moving van drive up. The car door opens and a dog runs out, followed by the two boys, Jimmy and Michael. One of them says that it's a nice house. Uh, well, the mother gets out the car behind them and they all look up to look at the house. Not like look up at the sky. <laughs> Inside the house, Cecil says in an English accent this time, Welcome to America, Sir Malcolm. He pulls out a cigarette as he watches on and it lights by itself. And the sound effect that plays here is like the bog standard sound effect for like fire starting. <laughs> it's so funny. You hear it all the time in films, it's quite funny. So the family direct the men moving the stuff to where they want the boxes. And that, that was kind of like a lot of stuff to bring if you were having an extended vacation yeah. or extended holiday rich in America. People yeah. Don't pack light. No. <laughs> Even though then my notes, I was like, I don't know, but rich people got a rich, I guess. <laughs> so Cecil comes down the stairs with the paint cans. He greets them with an American accent. Mm-hmm. Boys like a wee chameleon. And introduces himself as Bob the caretaker and that they've been exchanging letters back and forth. He's so original, his name. I know, eh? Bob. I need a name, I need a name. <laughs> so they shake hands and say hello and Cecil says that he's just been trying to spruce up the place for them 
and the mum says that it's a delightful house. Cecil says if there's anything he can do for them, they could just need to holler. As he leaves, they both walk up the stairs and comment how he seems nice enough, and then halfway up the stairs, they stop at a painting, and the husband comments on how it looks so much like his wife. Doesn't she think so? And she's like, oh, I don't know. Which is just a weird like interaction yeah. to have. I don't know why I was there, but okay. Sure, Chris Carter. Outside, Cecil approaches the two kids, or goes like goes to approach the two kids playing football. Stops and he sees the dog digging away at the ground, and <laughs> he kicks the dog away. But you can also see that it's clearly like a soft toy. <laughs> just it's quite well. It's cut well, but you can tell. I'm like it's just like a stuffed toy they've kicked away. <laughs> But yeah, Proobie Doug gets kicked away. And the dog starts barking at him and he comments on how he'll skin it alive if it doesn't kind of like leave him alone. So the dog like whines and just backs away. As if it understands Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, this whole episode is great. Mm-hmm. So in the ground, we see a hand sticking out. Cecil speaks to the hand and says, see, I'm the caretaker now. I'm like, okay, bro, come This is all like, oh, in case you're too stupid to follow this script. Yeah. <laughs> spell it all out for Spell you. it all out, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so annoying. So then we cut to the X-Files office. Mulder walks in and sees Scully sitting at the desk reading a file. And she says, so Sherlock, is the game afoot? Good joke, Skulls. <laughs> and Mulder says, I'm afraid so, Watson. I'm like, oh, look at their banner. <laughs> uh, Mulder goes on to tell her that she's off the hook for this one. And Scully takes off her glasses and is like, what? Why? Uh, but the glasses, are these the same glasses? I feel like we have this conversation every time. I don't know if they're the same glasses she has, as she had before. Or she always has. Are they the round ones? See, I can't even remember. I think they're the round ones. The round ones, I think she's had some... It was only in the pilot she had the wrong ones, I'm sure. Right. Or maybe she had slightly different ones and then they changed to more round ones. I can't remember. I, I feel like they had so many different types of glasses. I just know in the pilot she has Mulder's and Mulder has different ones. Right. And then they switched them around. No, okay. they didn't switch them around. They gave Mulder those ones and golly, rounder ones. But I don't know when she gets like, the round, rounder. So then Mulder says that he's not going to put her through this. Phoebe's little mind game... And Scully still doesn't understand, and Mulder says that there's something else that he hasn't told her about himself, that he hates fire, I hate it, scared to death of it, and then he just kind of like sighs, and he says, goes on to say how when he was wee, his best friend's house burned down, and he had to spend the night in the rubble to keep away looters. For years, he had nightmares about being trapped in a burning building. Searching for a file as he was talking, so he pulls out the file and stands up, and Scully asks, well, Scully says, Wait, and Phoebe knows about this? Mulder scoffs and says that it's classic Phoebe Green, mind game player extraordinaire. Ten years it's taken him to forget about this woman, and then she shows up in his life again with a case like this. Scully says, so she shows up knowing the power she has over you, and then she makes you walk through fire, is that it? And Mulder says that Phoebe is fire. And Scully asks again, he's like, are you sure you don't want me to help you out on this one? And he says that sooner or later, a man's got to face a demon. This is the most stupid storyline ever. It is. One, he's been from a fire and being completely unaffected. Two, who, why would that give you a nightmare and a fear of fire? If you were trapped in a burning building, then yes, yes maybe. Yeah. I don't think, still, I don't think you'd be that scared of like, no, fire. Yeah. Unless you were trapped in it. Yeah. It's the most ridiculous thing it ever. It is. It is ridiculous. Further cements the fact that, oh, Phoebe's a great friend, wasn't she? Uh-huh. A great girlfriend as well. So then we cut to Cape Cod and basically Cecil is watching the mum, Lady Marston, through the window. Being a wee creep. Mm-hmm. So she's moving around the kitchen, like, getting cups out and stuff, so it puts the kettle on. But Cecil is interrupting it as he hears coughing and he looks over. And so then he walks over to where the coughing is coming from and then yeah, so he walks around the back of the house to the garage where the driver is standing and he is smoking and coughing loudly and a lot. So Cecil asks with his American accent, 
you're the marshal's driver, and the driver says, or asks who it is, and they walk towards each other. And Cecil introduces himself. He's like, Bob, he's the caretaker. Hmm. And the driver's like, all right, okay, that's fine. So Cecil asks if he can get a cigarette from him, which he puts behind his ear. And he says that he's going into town and, he can a- and asks if he can get him anything. The driver asks for some cough medicine if it's no problem, and offers him money, which he dismisses. The driver says that he appreciates it. Then we cut to a bar in Cape Cod, and Cecil pulls up a seat and puts a paper bag down, presumably with the cops, cough syrup in it, and asks for beer. There's a woman sitting two seats down, and uh, who kind of like moves over towards him with her beer and says, they don't let you bring in your own around here. Cecil looks at the bag and says, well, I guess they'll have to make an exception, won't they? And she just kind of like laughs. She's like, oh, you're English. I love the accent. So she takes out a cigarette and a lighter. Cecil holds the hand with the lighter and says, allow me. And then she comments that, oh, he's a gentleman to boot. So Cecil holds up a finger and basically the flame erupts, ignites in the finger. Ignites. Ignites in the finger, yeah. And he moves it like left to right. Um, her eyes kind of follow it and then she's like amazed by this trick and then she turns around and says to everybody he's like oh take a look at this but when she turns back around Cecil's whole arm is on fire and he asks tear for a light so she gets up frightened and then Cecil slams his fist down on the bar top and all the spilled alcohol catches fire and the place goes up in flames people start screaming and running out the building as he watches on and he's just buzzing about it basically (laughs) (laughs) There's, there's not much you can take from uh, yeah. this. Uh, yeah, so we cut to Boston Mercy Hospital. Mulder and Phoebe walk into the waiting room and Mulder says they pulled this report off the wire last night. Eyewitnesses say that a customer in the bar caught fire and they're still looking for a body. Phoebe asks if there was an indication of any accelerant that was used and Mulder says the bar's across the street from the fire station. It burnt to the ground before they had a chance to even respond. The fire marshal says it burned so hot it turned the concrete foundation into sponge cake. And then points out that this was a woman who was at the bar. So he knocks on a door and they open it and walk in. The woman from the bar is lying on the bed and they greet each other. So they introduce themselves and Phoebe asks if she can tell them what happened last night. The woman tells them how there was this guy and she had a few drinks. Said it was like a magic trick what he did lighting his finger on fire. So Mother kind of takes note of it all. And the next thing she knew, when she turned around, he was up in flames. So they ask if she can describe him for them. And the woman comments on how she's already given the police all the information. Mulder asks if she could work with a composite artist and come up with a sketch. And she says that she's worried about someone finding out that she was at the bar instead of school. And Mulder tells her not to worry. She can come down to the field office instead. And he says that he'll give her a minute to think about it. And she nods and agrees. They both leave the room and Phoebe comments on how well done his technique was. Casually disregarding her indiscretion, a firm but polite manner until she agrees to cooperate. And Mulder with a zinger (laughs) says that it's a technique I refined in my relationship with you. (laughs) So he continues to write on his wee pad and she kind of looks down at the desk and comments on how she sees he hasn't lost his sense of humour after all. Mulder apologises and says that it was a cheap shot and how he doesn't want to dredge up the past. They should just stick to the case, which she agrees to. And then she goes off in the huff and takes a pad of, pad of paper and walks away from him a little. And Mulder kind of like goes to say, say something else, but she interrupts him and says, unless she's mistaken, <coughs> 10 years seems like sufficient time to have forgiven, if not forgotten, a few youthful indiscretion. And I wrote, not if you were a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and Mulder comments that he was cursed with a photographic memory. And then she alludes to like some tryst they had on top of Arthur Conan Doyle's tombstone. And it's just like, okay, that's not really appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> 
And Mulder brushes it off, as he should, and says that they should just stick to the case. So Phoebe kind of gives up and comments on how they're going through an awful lot of trouble to get a description of a man who's likely burned to a crisp. Mulder says they would agree, but they haven't found a body yet. He goes back to the women's room and she says they can count on her to provide the description for the sketch artist. She also says she remembered something else where the guy caught fire. He had an English accent. So we cut to Cape Cod again and the driver walks out the bathroom coughing and hacking basically does not look well at all. So Cecil, who is folding the sheets, looks at him and smiles, asks if he asks if he's having a rough time. The driver says yes, and Cecil's like, oh, maybe it's the cough syrup. Then we cut to the FBI headquarters. Scully sits at her desk taking notes. She opens up a folder and looks at some of the pictures of the victims and starts to type up her profile on her laptop. And here comes another voiceover. Yay! <laughs> so he says, after reviewing the files of the Scotland Yard arson murders, Two points remain unexplained. One is the use of an untraceable accelerant. The other involves the victims. Since they're all burned in the presence of family members and safe surroundings, this indicates unusually intimate access to the victims by the arsonist. Oh, I know, my God's sake. Okay, then we cut back to Cape Cod. So Cecil is coating the swing set and the similar paint that he's used inside the house is the rocket fuel as Jimmy and Michael run around in the garden and Scully talks over the scene as Cecil Kelly looks on. So she deduces that the arsonist is most likely a male, less than 25 years of age. He will often act out of impulse, satisfying sexual urges or insecurities with destructive behaviour, which compensates for his social inadequacies or maladjustment. And then here we go. This is a whole a whole thing. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Cecil calls them over, the, the two boys, and asks if, he wants to, if they want to see a magic trick. And they're like, yeah, okay. So they run over. And Cecil asks their names and they say Michael and Jimmy. Oh no, Michael answers Michael and Jimmy. And then Cecil asks, doesn't he talk for the other one? And Michael's like, yeah. And then they're all having jokes and fun and good time. And... They've all got nippy little English Oh, they do. <laughs> they're, they're annoying. The boys ask what kind of magic trick and Cecil is like "Mm, maybe I better not and Jimmy says no show us and Cecil's like no I might tell your mum and dad and they promise that they won't tell anybody. Major like pedo vibes in this. It is, oh yeah. Don't tell anyone. (laughs) (laughs) That is very, very true. Cecil says that they have taken a solemn oath of trust that cannot be broken except under penalty of death. And the boys laugh a little more like, ha ha ha, good joke. So Cecil takes out a cigarette and sticks it in the other hand, making a fist. So he blows in the fist and opens it, and it's empty. The boys laugh, and they find this hilarious. Mm -hmm. And then Cecil kind of like thinks, thinks hard, and then Michi's over to pull a lit cigarette out of his ear, and that is his magic trick. So he puts the cigarette in his mouth, takes a puff and says, ta-da! And the boys laugh in amazement and ask him to do it again, which he agrees to. We cut back to the arson lab. Agent Beauty is sitting at his desk and Scully knocks on his door. She introduces herself and asks for a minute of his time and says that she's working with Agent Mulder, to which Beatty says, ah yes, wild case, and asks what he can do for her. Scully says that he mentioned that the arsonist might be using some kind of rocket fuel as an accelerant, and Beatty says that yes, it's just speculation. It still doesn't explain how he set bodies on fire. Scully says, what if you got some of this fuel into some hand cream or... Uh, and then kind of like trails off and then Agent Beatty says like well you've got to understand even the smallest amounts of this stuff can produce temperatures over 5,000 degrees I suppose it's not impossible extremely diluted but you'd still have to find a way to ignite it then we cut back to Cape Cod 
And Cecil now has three lit cigarettes in his mouth. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, three cigarettes in his mouth, yeah. And then the, the middle one lights suddenly by itself. So the boys laugh and clap and they're excited about his wee trick. And then Cecil tries to get them into smoking. <laughs> Basically, he asks if they've ever smoked a cigarette and they're like, no, it's bad for you. Um, he asks if they want to try it and then the both boys look a bit worried and they're like, no, I don't want to. And Cecil's like, oh, I'll make a man out of you. And I'm like, peer pressuring these children into smoking. Yeah, they're like eight. Uh, yeah. <laughs> teenagers. Exactly. He holds the three of them out and asks if they can hold one of them for him and they're both like, nah, not budging at all. And one of them is like their face screwed up and like this weirdest grimace ever and the other one is just like dead stares like no. And one of them finally goes to take the cigarette after they like do this really long exchange of like staring each other down. <laughs> but the mother appears at the top of the hill and she calls on them and they both run to her. Cecil puts the cigarettes away and Lady Marsden calls hello to Cecil, calling him Bob, and waves and says that they've had some bad news. The driver, Their driver is ill and they're due at a party in Boston tonight. She asks if Cecil can drive them and says that they'd be happy to pay him for it. Cecil shakes his head at the offer of the money and says that he'd happy to do it as a favour and Lady Marsden thanks him and ushers the boys inside saying that they're lunch is ready. As they walk away, Cecil's face changes and becomes just weird as he like stares them down and Scully's voice over continues as he watches Lady Marston walk away and Scully continues saying that the arsonist is usually unmarried and prone to excessive fantasies about women or men who are inaccessible to him. Often the setting of fires results from his cowardice and inability to develop a natural relationship. And that's all I know. (laughs) So yeah, enjoy. (laughs) Enjoy the second half of this wild ride. So, Scully says that the... <laughs> so annoying. <laughs> Scully says that the arsonist's crimes are very clever and elaborately planned and that the suspicious nature of the fire... La- of the fire last night. What fire was there? Oh, the guy in the bar. Yeah. yeah. Of the fire last night suggests that the arsonist followed Lord Marsden to the US and that they're checking all recent immigration to the northeastern area. Scully goes on to say that it is not a matter of if, but when he will strike again. Then another agent comes in and hands her the immigration data that she wanted and says that. There's that information you want. So then we got to Mulder and Phoebe walking down the street and it's raining because Canada. And I can say that because it rains all the time here. Yeah. It's raining right now. So Mulder says that the Firestar has sent them a message that his abilities go further than someone who can just control or conduct fire. Which is pretty amazing anyway. Yeah. Phoebe agrees and then Mulder makes a joke about how he's not used to having someone agree with him so quickly and honestly get in the bin, mate. <laughs> Don't you read this in Scully. So they then waffle on about protection and cancelling the Marsden's plans to attend a party and Mulder suggests that they let them go instead of cancelling it and then set a trap for the arsonist. Phoebe then finds it necessary to tell Mulder that she will have a room at the Venable Plaza where the party's taking place and then Mulder lets out this like comical exhale. Yeah. I'm just supposed to like he's just like oh I'm in over my head here or something I don't know what it's supposed to I don't know it's weird it's comical anyway we then cut outside the hotel and the super reads Venable Plaza Hotel 5.15pm we see that Mulder's gotten his own room at the hotel and he actually tips the bellhop so obviously they hadn't quite written that in the script yet that he was a bad tipper yeah. so I don't think that there's been any other instances so far as everybody's tipped maybe that was just a Vince Gilligan thing that he run no. so then ba-ba-ba. so yeah bring the luggage in the room Mulder sits on the edge of his bed and then starts testing the mattress what are you planning Mulder <laughs> and then he gets a phone call from Scully on his mobile 
or cell phone, whatever. Scully asks where he is, and he's all cagey about it, isn't he? He's like, yeah. I'm in Boston or whatever. <laughs> like, and ex- probably expecting a reaction. She's just like, not even going to play this game. So Scully's just like, not thrown at all. She's just like, right, I'm going to drive up there to meet you. Mulder asks what she has, and Scully says that she might have some information on the identity of his suspect. She asks if she can meet him, and he says that... Where am I? He says that he might have his hands full. Okay. Yeah. So... It's like he's wanting a reaction there. Yeah, he's dropping stuff in there. Hello. We then cut to the Marstons arriving at the hotel with Phoebe and we see Mulder in his tux. He looks really cute, but yeah, I don't care because he's not dressed for Scully, so fuck yeah. you, Mulder. <laughs> <laughs> but he does look cute. And then he's just like gazing at her as she walks by and she does not even acknowledge him. Yeah, it's very funny. It's sad. It is very sad, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I hate Phoebe, so here you go. <laughs> so we then cut to some time later and Mulder's waiting around like a little loser and Phoebe finally comes to acknowledge him. Mulder says he's having the time of his life, as he clearly is bored as fuck waiting for her. Phoebe asks if she could have a dance with him, and then they just start dancing, and it's a really awkward fucking scene. Uh, yeah, it's it just really doesn't. Weird. It does not look natural. I feel like they've got zero chemistry yeah. at all. And they always do this. Why do they never do a chemistry test when anyone they're supposed to be? Yeah. And I just read on IMDb, by the way, chuck this fact in here. Do, do you know this? I think I've heard it before, actually, so you probably didn't know that Chris Carter would be a reoccurring character. Because apparently he really likes that he admired the actress. Okay. I'm guessing that means he fancied her because she's nothing special as an actress. Like, <laughs> yeah. there's not one scene where I'm like, oh, wow, she's really good. Like, she's yeah. fucking shit all the way through. I'm sorry to this person, but you're not a great actor. Maybe you got better later on in life. Yeah, but in yeah. this, no. So Chris Carr obviously just fancied her. But because all the fans hate her, he, oh, could, right. he, couldn't, he couldn't bring her back. He was like, oh, can't do that because they hate me already for bringing her in. So they're dancing. And then we see Scully rock up. She notices the horror show that's going on in front of her. <laughs> she's like, oh Christ. And she just like rolls her eyes and like turns away, <laughs> turns away, doesn't be 180. And then we see Cecil just creepily smiling at Scully. He's a wee freak. He's <laughs> such about. a wee freak. <laughs> He's a wee... Yeah. She turns around from the creep of the week to see <laughs> that the gruesome twosome are now snogging. Snogging? Are you making out? UK yeah, thing. making out then. And again, like she rolls her eyes and like does a a wee 180 and then yeah. you notice her like no- acknowledge that Cecil's no longer there um, but then she quickly notices that the fire panel has been triggered and she like quickly examines it and then runs up to Mulder and Phoebe interrupts her wee snog fest yeah. and yeah. tells them that there's a fire on the 14th floor and then Phoebe states that that's where the children are and they all run off but Mulder runs in a different direction than mm-hmm. the Empire, so I don't know where they're going. So we cut upstairs to where the fire is, and then we cut up to Mulder running. It keeps contact with Mulder running up the stairs, and then to Scully, who's directing everyone. It reminds me of um, Fight the Future, and she's like, Don't think! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I wouldn't make it yeah. She's like, Telling everyone to fire and get out, blah, blah, blah. So she's just been a boss. And then we cut back to Mulder, who's having a questionable panic attack yeah, on the 14th yeah. floor. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, to be fair, either would I be because this script sucks. Yeah. So, not worth his time. No. So, he starts crawling about the floor, and we, as he's like crawling about the floor, we see like the children being carried. You don't see who it is, but you see like their legs dangling oh, yeah. as they're getting carried out. And he's having like a meltdown, and then some firemen come and rescue him. We then see Cecil coming down the lift with the boys, and like everyone gives him like, a pat on the back as he comes out with them. Yeah. And as we already stated, don't think that would be possible because here, lifts shut down in a yeah. fire. You yeah. shouldn't be able to get in a lift when there's a fire in the building. <laughs> it's a massive safety concern. Yes. So I don't know if it's just the 90s or they don't care about that in America or Chris Carter just didn't think about that. No. So, not yeah. Point, so no. Wouldn't be surprised. 
So then Mulder's dumped on the floor by the firemen. They're yeah. like, they're like, I don't know for this wee pussy. <laughs> yeah, grippy like me. And he's got like a wee oxygen mask. And Scully runs over to take care of him because she is the queen. The yeah, she's the best. And while Scully is tending to her man, Phoebe is congratulating Cecil, the literal murderer. Yeah. And she doesn't give a fuck about Mulder. Doesn't even yeah. look his way not interested. So then we cut to Mulder coughing like a kid trying to get a day off school and <laughs> yeah. Scully is sitting on his bedside. She hands him a glass of water and tells him that he's really out. And I don't know why we'd pass out yeah. exhaustion after having Maybe. a panic yeah. attack because it does make you tired but I don't mm-hmm. know. Or just like, did he really inhale that much smoke? I feel like he wasn't up there that long. Anyway, Mulder asks where Phoebe is and Scully is like, forget about that bitch. <laughs> or she tells him she's down the hall, whatever. So then Mulder asks how the kids are and Scully says they've been given okay by a doctor. By the way, I've cut all this down because this is not <laughs> yes, what I said, but I could not be fucked with this bullshit dialogue. Uh-huh. So It needs to be cut down because yeah. this is just ridiculous. Mulder then gets out of bed and he's only wearing his little boxers. <laughs> <laughs> And like Scully tries not to look too soon. She's like, be yeah. cool, be cool. Play cool, hey. Yeah. And I've lost my place now. I say that. And Scully asks Mulder what happened up there, and he tells her that he froze as as he goes into the bathroom. What does he say? He heard out or something. Oh, I heard yeah. out on my Yeah. Scully then asks what they know about the guy that saved the kids, the driver, and then Phoebe comes in uh, with her nippy fucking voice <laughs> and says that she checked him out prior to the Marston's arrival. Still our job, babe, because you might have noticed it's not the right guy. Uh, maybe we weren't too busy trying to fuck around with Mulder. So she goes on to say that he's been working at the property for eight years and has no record and that they were lucky that he was there. Scully asks who had, be- who had been watching the kids and Phoebe tells her that it was the driver. Again, why would you leave your kids for the driver? Oh, it's weird. Almost as bad as the McCann's. I was, just gonna, <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say that. There's another random McCann situation. Yeah. Here. And Scott, like, because he's not even the driver. Like, if it was the guy they knew for eight years, fine. But this is the caretaker who they've just yeah. met. And they're like, yeah, you look after our kids. Yeah. That's fine. Rich Weird. people. Well, they don't give a fuck. Nope. So Scully asks if she was sure about that because she was sure that she saw him downstairs before the fire panel went off. Phoebe says she couldn't have. Well, she fucking did. <laughs> and that their suspect is English because people can't put on accents, him. Honestly. Can't stand her. So Mulder then walks in with a robe on and awkwardly says hey. And Phoebe and Scully turn around. And Mulder continues to be awkward and like fastens up his robe like he's like, don't look at me. So Phoebe, he's like, you don't get this privilege anymore. (laughs) You broke my heart. So Phoebe tells him that she came to see if he was okay, even though she didn't give a fuck earlier when he was lying on the floor, but whatever. Mulder ignores her because he's like, I'm not even acknowledging the fact that I had a, a meltdown yeah. there. So he asks her again how the kids are, even though Scully already told exactly. them they were fine. Phoebe says that they're fine again, but that everyone is anxious and wants to get back to England. Yes, please all fuck off back to England. <laughs> so Mulder asks what her plans are, and she says that she'll be leaving in a few days too. She then tells <laughs> she then tells him that she'll give him a ring at the bureau before she leaves. Phoebe then dips out of there, and Scully blanks her when she says goodbye. Well then, Phoebe? Scully blanks for you when you say goodbye. Good girl, Scully. (laughs) Once she's gone, Scully asks Mulder if he's okay, and he just says, yeah. I'm like, not really. But it's so cute that she's checking on. I'm like, Uh, okay. I care about your feelings. I'm like, this bitch. Exactly, because she knows what she's up to. Yeah, exactly. Scully asks him if he wants to know what she came up there to tell him. He says, yeah, and then she says that she didn't know a lot about arson and arsonists, so she did her own research and ran her own prout. Ran her own profile. Don't even know what I was trying to say there. 
to find a list of fuels that could have been used in the crimes and hands mother a list. And then she lists them all, but if you think I'm even going to attempt any of them, coming. So she then goes on to say that she ran a check on all the staff that worked for the family and makes a comment about how lazy people are. Yeah, yeah. about how they're lazy rich bastards that yep. <laughs> do nothing for themselves. She points out that the garden? What? A gardener. Mm-hmm. I've not typed that. She points out that a gardener named Cecil Lively worked for two previous victims. As soon as she saw it, she'd be like, fucking this guy. Exactly, yeah. Mulder asks what she found on him, and she says nothing. And Mulder surmises that he's clean. Scully says that he was arrested and questioned by Scotland Yard, but he was ultimately let go. She says that she did some further digging and that he appeared to be a model citizen right up to his death in a London tenement fire in 1971. Mulder gives her a look. And Scully says, that's what she thought too. So she did more digging and his name came up on a death certificate of a group of children who were killed in a ritualized killing by a satanic cult in the woods of Tottenham outside Bath, England in 1963. This is too much. Yeah, and this is me like shortening it way down yeah. and it's still too much. Ridiculous. So they're so obsessed. They were so obsessed with like, cults and then like, <laughs> uh, like through like maybe the 70s to the 90s, weren't they? Mulder asks where Elsa's name came up and Scully tells him that he's going to love this before telling him that Cecil's past was stamped two weeks ago at the port of entry in Boston. So Mulder suddenly springs to life and tells Scully to call the local field office in Boston and get them to fax you a composite that the witness uh, did. Yeah, composite. Yeah. yeah, photo that the witness drew. Not drew. Got the person to draw. Yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. The sketch that the artist drew based on the witness's description. Yeah. Yep. As he's saying this, Scully gazes up at him dreamily. <laughs> Uh, Mulder tells her to fax the composite to every local law enforcement agency in the area. Scully asks Mulder what he's going to do and he tells her that he's going to try catch Phoebe as the suspect could be waiting for them in Cape Cod. We then see Scully waiting at the fax for the sketch and <laughs> she's kind of already saying that word now. <laughs> for the sketch to come through of Cecil. Scully then says, oh my god, it's the driver. Because again... Apparently his audience is stupid. So then we cut to Scully in her car trying to call Mulder. We then get a nice transition of the image of the sketch turning into Cecil yeah, as he lights his cigarette. It's a nice wee transition. And Mulder arrive and then he's watching Mulder arrive up at the house. So he's up on like the first floor looking out from the window. Mulder rushes into the house and catches Phoebe Snog and Lord Marsden. <laughs> and they both do some questionable acting to show that they're shot. I mean, yeah. got poor acting. So this weird. is what I'm saying. Chris Carr must have had a crush because she's not yeah. a good actress at this point. So then Lord Marsden pieces the fuck out there because he's too rich to do all that. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I don't care. I can fuck around with whoever I want. I've got money. So Mulder just completely ignores the situation like the child that he is <laughs> and tells Phoebe that the arsonist is called Cecil Lively and that they need to go round up the family and get them out of there as soon as possible. We then cut to Cecil watching the kids being brought in and he smells menacingly. Again, cut to Scully arriving and telling Mulder that it's the driver. Mulder says, Mulder? Mulder says that he knows and that he's disappeared. Scully sees that Mulder's moping around like a lost puppy and asks him what's wrong and he just says nothing. I feel like, um, nothing. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you're like one of those people on Facebook that's like, yeah. <laughs> feel something and then it's like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. PM me. Okay, babe. So it says nothing and then he shows Scully a tin of rocket propulsion fuel that he found out in the garage. The family then come downstairs and Mrs. Marston is saying that she refuses to believe that their driver is the arsonist and that he's worked for them for almost 10 years. They ask to see the sketch and then reveal that the man in the sketch is not their driver but in fact the caretaker. Everyone is astounded.
fascinated by this. Yeah. <laughs> and Mrs. Marsden announces that he's upstairs right now with the children. Everyone heads upstairs to search for Cecil and the boys, and they find the actual driver cooked. He's well done over the toilet. Yeah. And apparently no one has searched his house at all for this guy. Exactly. He's been missing for days. No one opened that door. No. Or smell a fucking exactly. singed body. Like, Jesus Christ. So then Mulder and Scully like hear the people calling for them. So they run back to find the rest of the family. And the curtains have spontaneously combusted. And everyone's really excited about this. So everything starts going up in flames. And Mulder flaps around helplessly with a towel. Yeah, he yeah, he's he's trying. He informs everyone that he thinks the arsonist has rigged everything in the house with fuel, and as he says, it's the towel that he's been holding ignites too. So they go back downstairs, and Mulder tells Scully to try to find a fire extinguisher and tells everyone to get outside. Mrs. Marsden asks what about the children, and Mulder says he'll take care of the children. It's like it's my time to shine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no panic attacks this time. Phoebe asks if he'll be okay and he says he'll be fine and that there's no place he'd rather be as he like runs up the stairs. And don't pretend to care now, bitch, because you didn't before. He then heads upstairs and calls out for the children. We hear the children screaming from behind a locked door and then Cecil appears behind Mulder and he's like, ha ha! <laughs> and then he like clicks his hands and does some jazz hands and like everything nice in the hallway. It's very over the top. It's like he's about to do a little dance. It is, oh, so yeah, good, it's so good. Fucking love for it. <laughs> so then, when I say so good, I mean, it's so bad, it's oh, good. Yeah, it's terrible. This is the only bit that's so bad, it's laughably good. The rest yeah. of it's just bad. Yeah. Mulder dives down to the floor and Cecil heads back downstairs, but he's then cornered by Scully. Scully aims her gun at him and Cecil tells her that if she shoots, then the spark could ignite the whole house. Phoebe then pops out of nowhere and throws an, throws an accelerant over Cecil. She's like, hi yeah! <laughs> Didn't see that coming. We then cut back upstairs to the hall burning, like all the pictures burning in the hall, and Mulder is cowering on the floor as the boys scream for help. Finally gets a grip and gets up and makes his way towards their room. And then we see David Coffney getting burnt by an overzealous pyrotechnic <laughs> on set. So yeah, they weren't very safe for that. So then Mulder breaks down the door to the boys and we cut outside to see Cecil who's dancing about on the lawn. I think he's on fire at this point, eh? Yeah, I think he is. Oh, yeah. That's why he's dancing about. I think that's what I meant by that. He was like on fire and kind of waving his arms about. Oh, I think so, anyway. And we see Mulder making it out with the boys. Cecil. Oh, no, it's not. Cecil then bursts into. Oh, he's just dancing about because he's covered in the accelerant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sneeze out. Oh, I'm sure that would be effective. So Cecil bursts into flames and starts laughing while saying, You can't kill me. You can't fight fire with fire. Literally one of the worst lines ever. Oh, okay. Okay. So cheesy. And then like everyone watches on in horror as if this whole thing isn't laughable. Yeah. So then we cut to Mulder in his smart boy glasses, looking all sad as he's playing around with a tape. We hear an English accent off screen. It's not as nippy, so we know it's not Phoebe. Yeah. And well as nippy. <laughs> Just as a Scottish person, it gets my back up. Yeah. <laughs> so they say, Care to take me to lunch? And Mulder turns around and it's Scully standing in the doorway, looking very smug. Yeah, she's like so pleased with her. Yeah, she does. Scully asks if she scared him, and he says, You have no idea. Which just shows, like, there's nothing really affection of. There's no affection there for Phoebe. It's just yes. this weird relationship there. He's got yeah. mommy issues. This is the problem. His mom didn't love him. Now he's trying to get everyone who doesn't like him to love him. Yeah. Just the just the thing that he does. So she then asks where Phoebe is, and Mulder says that he doesn't know. Scully asks if she called, and Mulder says no, but she sent him a tape. Scully asks if he's played it yet, and he says no. She questions if he's not curious about what's on it. Mulder says, 10 to 1, you can't dance to it again. I like that little like, yeah, start to finish. Like, closes back. it off. It's yeah, good. it's good. 
and then he gets up to leave or something. I'm guessing maybe he is taking her lunch. That'd be nice. I wish we got to see that more often. Hello. So, could have fucked this whole episode. I would watch 40 minutes of Scully and Mother just having lunch together. Yeah, just, just vibing. Yeah. Just we then cut to a high security quarantine facility in Boston and we see a nurse going through the building. As we get a voiceover from Scully saying that Cecil had fifth and sixth degree burns on his entire body. She says that the military have been brought in to study what they call an extraordinary case. Not just because he survived, but because of his rapid regeneration of his basal cell tissue. And honest to God, fuck off your voiceovers. <laughs> Scully, I don't mind a quick voiceover. It's when Chris Carr writes them, they're just terrible. So Scully goes on to say that a full recovery is anticipated in as little as a month. She says that Cecil is being kept in a hyperbaric chamber while he awaits to be charged for the death of a Massachusetts caretaker. But no one else yet. That's weird. Like they're not really charging. I guess that's what was happened in the UK though, didn't it? So. But what about the driver? Yeah. Anyway, who cares? She tells us that his body temperature remains at a steady 109 degrees and that health officials have removed anything flammable from the room due to several fires spontaneously combusting in the vicinity. She then tells us that according to Agent Mulder, further incarceration remains a problem for federal penal authorities. Does it say why? No, I don't think it does, eh? The nurse asks if she can get Cecil anything and as we see him like in his little hyperbaric chamber and he says that he's just dying for a cigarette before like grinning and then it ends and what all the shit and I can't believe we yeah. recorded this sober because <laughs> we, we need yeah we deserve it right fuck it out Anyway, we're not going to go into too much detail about that because we both hate this episode. Yeah. So let's see what everyone's saying on the fans that are out there. Says, um, I'm not sure how good, in quotation marks, this episode is, but I kind of love it. Scully's adorable in our jealousy and robe ogling and English accent moment. The fact that Mulder's college girlfriend is completely unhinged alpha is hysterical to me and such an odd insight into his character. <laughs> to be fair, Scully, every Scully scene in this is really good. It is, yeah. Scully she's light in this dark, dark storm. <laughs> she is, yeah. Just quite, uh, yeah. She's like quite protective of him as well yeah, throughout it, and I'm like, oh, bless her wee heart. And then Cat, which is at Throw the Bones too, says, I liked it when I first watched it because I thought they were setting up things they'd bring up again throughout the show, but then dot 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 clown emoji face. <laughs> <laughs> At raccoons underscore dead said, well, now that's funny because I just finished recording my review of Fire, which I will go back and find, which is a YouTube link. And I don't know how that was kind of... We retreat it, yeah. We retreat it, so it'll be on our... So they said that their review of Fire is up. Uh, They try to answer several burning questions. Why does Cecil look like a 90s anti-smoking PSA? How does Sherlock Holmes play into this episode? Hint, not in the way you think. And why is Chris Carter allowed to write women? (laughs) (laughs) I agree. (laughs) I agree. And then at Agent underscore Troy says, I always thought it was interesting how different Mulder's reactions are to both of his exes suddenly returning. He seems perfectly aware that Phoebe is toxic and manipulative, but refuses to believe anything negative about Diana. Um, And that's a good point. And oh, geez, right. There is a whole conversation that goes on underneath this uh, between at Diego Joni, thank you. Yeah, and they say that Phoebe was a trippy college girlfriend. He was older with Diana and married or not, it was a more serious relationship while it lasted. Said that we don't really learn very much about the details of the relationship, though there's so little to go on other than the fact that they were together. Hence why I felt the need to flesh out Diana a bit with her latest Vic. And then they can, I don't know, just the conversation kind of goes on. We'll talk a wee bit about the later seasons. I think that's all there really is to do about fire. So at Katie underscore Katie underscore Katie says Scully doesn't seem jealous of Phoebe like she does with Diana. Maybe her feelings are still very platonic, but she does seem annoyed with Mulder for her thinking with his dick. <laughs> 
And then Agent underscore Troy says it's earlier in their in their relationship, so guess her jealousy is more toned down than with Diana. She's still super protective of him though, which I love. And then at Diego Jones again says she has slight jealousy of Phoebe and is a little taken aback that Mulder didn't ask her to be on the case, but she sees how she's taking advantage of him and is protective. I don't and think then Chris Carter realizes how much of a dick he makes Mulder look like. By yeah. This new woman coming in and him completely just going like, oh, fuck you, Scully. I'll yeah. I don't want you on this case. Yeah. It's strange. He realizes what a dick move that yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he gets it. Take what you will from that. But. Yes. And then at Penny Sycamore agrees that Scully is more protective than jealous. I think she's generally pissed off at Phoebe in her own right. Phoebe is dismissive and treats Scully as some non-entity. Scully is having none of it. And that is on yeah that is all the tweets that we have from the peeps so thank you to everyone who got involved in this week's show and we're not doing anything else because we're on holiday and we can't be fucked for this episode (laughs) so anyway in case you didn't get it we hate fire and this goes at the bottom yeah oh yeah the rankings we're not even gonna go through them this what was at the bottom before space yeah it was space and i feel like this is gonna go below space yeah See, I like Mark Shepard in the background. I think at the end when he's going through like his little spiel, he's like, "No, you won't fire up a shop because blah blah." blah. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's funny uh, when he's good, but yeah, I, yeah, it's just the rest of it. I can't, I can't, I can't. Yeah, can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Like I said, I quite like Scully in this. Yeah, I hate them because Cara thinks two women would automatically hate each other yes. as soon as they meet. Although she is toxic, to be fair, yeah, but yeah, like yeah. he has a pattern of this. He does. So yes. it's alright if this is a one-off, but it's like continuously. So it's annoying that that's the way they decided to go with it. And if you hadn't went that way, then he would have got his way and had her as a recurring character. If you hadn't done it like this, yeah. written it like this. We never talked about yeah. this before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so yeah, this is going to the bottom of the list because at least Space has some really good interactions uh-huh. between Scully and Mulder, whereas there's not a lot of Scully and Mulder in this because yeah. he just patches her up. I mean, how do you even say patch, right? You've bumped her off. Yeah. Yeah. Just dismisses her. Yeah. Just like, nah, I've got a new toy to play with. Yeah, ex- exactly. So we're not happy about that. So next episode is Beyond the Sea. Oh, so we'll see you for that. Okay. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>